With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast. And here are your hosts, Nina Pantic and Irina Falcone. Welcome to Tennis.com podcast inside the tour. On this episode, we are joined by a special guest, Bjorn Frontangelo. Hello, how are you guys? Thank you for having me. And I'm your usual host, Nina Pantic, and we're also joined by my co-host, Irina Falcone. Hey guys, how's it going? So Bjorn is a young American player who is ranked just outside of the top top 100. He has won eight ITF Future titles and three ATP Challenger titles. He is one of three American men to win the Junior French Open title. And we're going to talk a lot about his career, his highs, um, his season looking ahead. And he just got back from the Australian Open, so we're going to start with that. Brisbane was the first trip of the year for me. And, um, you know, it's always a long flight there takes forever and I'm not the biggest fan of flying so for me to sit on a plane for 14 hours from LA so plus the extra five just getting to the west coast is a little bit of a struggle but a few other players were on the flight Bradley Klon was on the flight Nicole Gibbs was on the flight uh Kyle Edmund was on the flight so there was a bunch of us there um so yeah Brisbane was Brisbane was all right you know I lost uh, the first match in qualies but the guy ended up qualifying and making quarters and almost made the semis, so it was a pretty good week from him. And uh, But I got some good practice days there. It was really hot, so it prepared me well for Melbourne. And then I had a good run through qualities. I saved match points in a couple matches, so I was pretty happy with that. And then played Simone in a close three-setter, but he was too good that day. Yeah, he's a pretty good player. So for a lot of people that don't know this, it's going to Australia. People just assume that, you know, you're probably over the jet lag, no problem. So how long does it take for you? Like, is it pretty quick? Are you used to it now? Or does it still take a couple days? Going, going there is easy. Um, you just, you get there in the morning. So you just try to stay up that whole day. And then you just wake up early, which I'm okay with. I like to get up early and I'm an early riser. So for me, I have no issues there. But coming back is a whole different story. It takes me maybe five, six days to feel completely okay i mean i'm sleeping till 9 a.m i could and i feel like i could sleep keep sleeping so for me that's uh that's never the case but it's tough coming back how do you how do you deal with flying if you're not i mean i've heard of lots of players not being big fans of flying but is there any certain tricks you do or things that you cope with i mean it's not that i i don't like flying it's like i have no fear of flying or anything but just the whole process of traveling i just can't stand it at all and um (laughs) I hate, I mean, do you like it? Do you like airports, check-ins, baggage claim, all that stuff? No, for me, it's the worst. But, uh, you know, I feel like everybody has one little part of their job that they don't like, even if they love what they do. So I feel like for me, that's probably that part. I will say that if you probably didn't have to check bags, that would probably help. That would save a lot. That would save a lot. Because, I mean, the amount of times that it's like, I'm sorry, your bag is overweight. 
Yeah, it gets to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, I hear you. You guys don't have private jets in first class for all your flights? That's weird. Not not for me. No, at least not yet. <laughs> not quite there yet. Is it nice having so many different guys that are doing well and that are around for all these tournaments with you? Like you mentioned a few that were on the plane with you. Is it fun having, and you're, you're based in Nona as well with a bunch of other American guys. Is that really like one of the best parts of the job right now? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's fun. I get along well with, you know, all the guys and girls. Um, it, it's, it's nice to see, uh, see the young group of Americans that are doing so well. Um, and on the ladies' side, you know, they're doing, they're doing well and they've been doing well for years. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's good. We're all friends. We all push each other. Uh, I think we all have a friendly, competitive kind of, I don't know, thing going on when we're, when we're hitting and at the tournaments. Yeah. We're, we're all super close and, and, uh, you know, we hang out a lot and, and I'm probably really close friends with Bradley Klein. He's probably my best friend on tour. Um, you know, and it's nice when combined events are around and, and Madison's there as well. Um, so it definitely makes being on the road a little bit easier. So obviously, for those that don't know, you are Madison Keys' boyfriend. Pretty sure everybody knows by now. <laughs> well, for those that, you know, are not up to date with the whole relationship statuses. So I'm sure everyone asks about that. It's getting old or... It's... Um, no, people people haven't really. By really? by now, yeah, it's it's kind of just died down um i mean we're pretty low-key about it i feel like so people don't really you're not posting like integrated instagram account video no not like no we're not those people (laughs) but yeah no nobody i feel like at this point maybe when it was fresh you know she came to houston last year which is a only a men's event and for some people that was weird I, i don't think some people knew why she was there or what she was doing there i haven't been able to go to a only WTA event yet, um, just kind of the way the schedule's worked out. But yeah, I feel like in the beginning, some people were like, whoa, what's, what's going on here? But now, I mean, it's like a year, almost a year and a half in, it's, you know, it's old news. Gotcha. It's not really old news. I mean, we grilled her about it a little bit, so I think... It's oldish news. It's been over, it's been over a year for sure at this point, right? Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, we've asked her this as well, but is it a massive help to, to, be, to be dating somebody that understands what you're going through and, and understands why they can't, I don't know, follow you around all the Grand Slams or, or, or see you every night when you have practice and stuff like that? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's good to have that in common, especially with tennis being such a unique sport. You know, you have a lot of feelings and a lot of, you know, you're in a lot of different situations when you're on the court and then you ha- also have a lot of downtime. We have each other to kind of bounce ideas off of and whatnot. Definitely helps me. I'm pretty sure it helps her too. And it makes it more fun. I mean, being on the road at, at the slams and stuff, it's, you know, we're always together. We try to practice or we try to schedule our practices around the same time. So we can just kind of share more time together. But um, yeah, it definitely makes it more fun. A lot of people think that week after week, you're going to tournaments. You rarely get downtime. What's, uh, what's your schedule? For the next like month or so, like I know that you have to sign up at least six weeks before a yeah, tournament. Yeah, so, six or three. So, weeks what's before. your next month and a half look like? So I have, uh, yeah, it's kind of a long stretch, but I start in Dallas uh, for a challenger there, and then I go to two ATPs in New York, the one that's in Long Island now, and then Delray Beach. 
and then Alcapulco is the next week, and that's like I don't know if three in a row is good enough, or if I don't have you know a good week in there somewhere, maybe play Acapulco, but then it like feeds right into Indian Wells, which then feeds right into Miami. So, and by that point, it's almost April, and you've played like every week. I'm so fried by that point. Yeah. I mean, even just coming back from Australia, I mean, I talked to you, and you were just like, I mean, it's you feel like it was two months over there yeah and it was essentially it's it's one tournament but it can be almost three weeks long yeah i mean i was there for for 20 days yeah so it's just it's, it's a long time and for two tournaments yeah for wow. two events yeah i don't think a lot of people realize how long you can actually be someplace especially in the slams i mean every other tournament it's pretty much a week in week out but yeah you australia is always the long one that's the long one and i'm glad at least it, it gets it out of the way at the at the beginning of the year the longest trip is done like <laughs> and it's over now so every flight for the, the next few months feels easy compared to what we all just went through exactly exactly i get that i've been a few times and i had that perspective it lasted for like the full year i was like this is less than 14 hours it's nothing right yeah <laughs> i would love to be australian and see what they think about just every flight they take they're probably miserable about it. So you're you're ranked uh, just outside the you're you're in the, like the one thirties. How is it planning? So you're you're in the qualifying of slams, um, but how is it planning all the other tournaments? Do you usually can see pretty early like oh I'll make the main draw of that? Are you ready for qualifying? How does that all factor in? It's a little bit tricky because you know you are in the qualities of slams and you know, you're in qualities of most ATP events too, but you're also main draw of every challenger. So I feel like f there's a mix, you know, of ATPs and challengers that, that you should play if kind of you're ranked where I am. There's guys that get a 70 just off playing challengers, and I'm not really the biggest fan of that. I mean, it's good, you know, you get inside the top 100 and your main draw of slams, and, you know, you, at least you have that guaranteed first round prize money, but to me, it's a little bit of a false ranking, and I think you have to have a mix. I mean, play your challengers and, and get your wins, which is great, but also like you play you play tennis to play the bigger events. And I have no problem going through qualifying. And I've, you know, I've been around a hundred to one hundred five, and right now, like where I am is the lowest I've I've been in a long time. I had a really terrible first eight months to last year, so I can actually work with a lot of ground that, that I didn't cover last year in terms of defending points. So I'm really going to try to make a push, you know, and I have till about August with not much coming off. So I feel like if there's any time I'm going to surpass my career high, it's going to be now. I'm just curious, like 99, was that a big, a big milestone for you? Are you glad it wasn't 101 at least? I mean, obviously you want to do better than that, but it's kind of great that you just managed to get that cusp. You got past it. I, I can say for the rest of my life that I was top 100. No one can ever take that away from me. It would have been bad. It, 101, I think 100 would have been worse than, than 101. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I, double digits had happened right after the French Open in 2016, I believe. So uh, so yeah, 99. But I haven't been able to pass it since then. So um, it's definitely been something that's on my mind. So you said that last year, you said that you had a pretty not great beginning of the year mm -hmm. and something changed and you have no points to defend all throughout August. You said, um, a lot of people that are listening, they don't really understand the ranking system because they're like, well, how was this person in main draw last year? Now they're qualified. Yeah. So you are pretty much just free rolling at the moment and just gaining as many points as possible. Does that also affect your schedule sometimes? Like, okay, 
I know that I can probably make a lot of points here, or I'm going to go and play a smaller tournament, or I'm going to play a bigger tournament. Like, does that factor in too, knowing that you have nothing to defend? I mean, I think the only way it's kind of factoring in right now is maybe it takes a little bit of pressure off. You know, I have so many weeks to kind of just attack everything, and I feel like I can kind of just swing away, and not that you shouldn't swing away when you have points to defend, but it's a different kind of pressure, and you know, you're playing a week where you won a tournament the year before and, and you know, everyone knows where they can drop if, if you have one thing go wrong or the guy or girl you're playing is having the, the match of his or her life. So for me right now, I just kind of want to keep playing well and I did a good job in the fall last year to really win a ton of matches all in challengers um, and get my ranking from, I don't know, I think it dropped to as low as 180 to back where it is now. So... I just have to keep uh, keep doing what I was doing, and you know, qualifying for Australia was was a good good start, and we'll we'll keep going from there. So you turned pro way back in 2012. So if you're you're 25 right now, so were you like 17 or 18 when you pulled the trigger? Yeah, I I was 18, almost 19, and I believe I just finished high school. So yeah, April 2012 is when I turned pro. Was there any thought at all to go into college? I mean, I know that you're a, an American bred guy. You grew up in Philadelphia and Florida. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I was playing. I'm actually from Pittsburgh, um, not Philly, so I'm on the the west side of PA. Correct yourself. <laughs> and uh, for me, Ohio State was my number one school, so it was close to home. It, you know, I my dad coached me basically from when I was growing up to when I was 19. Um, so if I was going to go there, he would have been close. He could still be involved. I like the program. The year I went in, there was going to be, it was, the team was going to be amazing had I gone, but I had some success as I, you know, kept going through juniors and ended up winning French open. And, and I shot to two in the world in the ITF junior rankings. And I think I had only played like 12 junior tournaments my whole career internationally. So I got to number two just off like 12 events, which I think is pretty cool, but it's in way in the past now. Um, but yeah, that kind of changed a lot of things for me. And and college tennis, it, it would have been fun, but it was actually something that I was never like huge on. Had I gone to school, my parents really wanted me to, they would have wanted me to stay all all four years and get a degree and and you know, really take the education seriously since it was going to be free. Um, you know, so they wanted me to take advantage of that. So, you know, they kind of said, look, if you're going to do this, you should do it right. But if you're going to play tennis, you know, you should do that right also. So I thought about it and I wait on it for a long time and then finally decided that, you know, I could go to school at some point, but I should probably take advantage of what was on the table then then in there and you're one of three american men to win the junior french open which is always pretty cool also something you can hang your hat on looking back when you're when you're old and retired johnny mack and i think tommy tommy paul is us three wow well you know your stuff yeah um you said that you would have done all four years at ohio state if you would have gone i mean that's what they wanted me to do i i, I who knows what could have happened but yeah so um you told me just recently that you're going to be doing the IU East program. Yeah. Uh-huh. Through the WTA and ATP, they have a partnership with uh, Indiana University East. 
and if you get a seer above, uh, the WTA and the ATP will pay 25%, and then Indiana will pay 50%. So essentially, you could have 75% of your tuition paid, yeah. which is unbelievable. And I know Rajiv Ram actually, I think, had to pay like 27 cents or something for the semester <laughs> because he's from Indiana. So he got like a lot of credit. Um, so when, when are you planning on starting that? Like, is it something I think that you're also going to be doing it as, along with Madison as well? So that would be potentially something you guys could do together, right? Yeah. I, ideally, I think I'd like to start in the summer, maybe just start with one class and just see what it is. I mean, I haven't done anything school-wise in so many years. Um, so I'm sure it'll take a little bit of an adjustment to get back, but on the road, we do have a lot of downtime and I just feel like it's time. I'm 25 now and the older I've gotten, the more bored I've gotten on the road. And I just feel like it would be something to take my mind off of tennis and take my mind off of where I am. And hopefully I can just kind of focus on something else aside from how I'm doing or the next day or whatnot. So uh, I think it can help. And, and, you know, we'll see how it goes. If I think the load's easy, maybe I'll add another class or something. Or if not... We'll see what happens. I think at home it's going to be a little tough because when I'm here, I like to just veg out and spend time. And after long training days, I just got home about an hour ago, so I can't see myself wanting to do anything except this podcast. Night. Except this podcast, <laughs> which this is this is definitely a plus for me. Your highlight of your day, <laughs> the highlight of my Monday. So, um, so yeah, we'll see how it goes. I'm excited. Well, that's cool. Do you have anything that you do when, I mean, obviously it'll be school, but have you been doing anything that you have like a hobby you do on the, when you're on the, on the road? Some of the guys play video games. I think Madison said she binge watches Netflix. I mean, is there, is there something that you get up to when you're not playing tennis? I definitely watch a lot of TV shows. As far as hobbies go, I don't really, I think that's the problem. I don't really have any, I, I, I love to cook. I grew up with a huge Italian family and I grew up around food and that's one of the things I like to do when I'm here, but obviously when I'm when I'm gone, there's no kitchen. So, so that kind of that's probably my my biggest thing I like to do outside of of playing tennis. But um, I can't do it. So yeah, I don't have anything like uh, you know I don't bring like a little guitar on the road or I don't you know I don't have anything. Like I, I saw Pierre Herbert like literally traveled through Queens last year with like a guitar. So I think Kevin Anderson does that too. There's yeah some guys have a lot of things they like to do the Bryans are huge into music too but yeah I'm kind of boring I guess I guess you could essentially have your own little skillet that you travel with I could but <laughs> yeah, it's just I have enough stuff I gotta bring <laughs> this is true yeah I know that like Luisa Chirico and uh, Christiane almost like have a band they're like taking requests and yeah she's on the guitar and uh, Luis is the one singing the vocals so that's pretty cool I mean probably down the road you might have something to wear you can be in a house with a kitchen every single week and you can cook. Yeah. I think that would be really cool. Yeah. And even like in Australia, if you would have gotten like an Airbnb yeah. or something, that could have been really cool. Yeah. I have no musical talent, so I feel you. Yeah. yeah, we can share that and it's cool. <laughs> it's absolutely, absolutely nothing. Uh, are you actually named after Bjorn Borg? You mentioned your family is Italian, but I could have sworn I read somewhere. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's true. Um, yeah, it's true. <laughs> So the story is that it was my dad's idol growing up. If you watch my dad play tennis, he was just a recreational player, but he's he's very good. Um, his strokes are the same. It's like Rajiv Ram and Pete Sampras. 
they they just look the exact same. So it was his idol, and and they met him at like a senior event when they were my parents were married before I was born. They met him at a senior tour event that my mom had got my dad tickets for. I think it was in Washington D.C. or something. And my dad actually had the chance to hit with him, but turned it down. I think because he was so nervous. Oh my god! But um, that's the best story ever. Though. Yeah. So then he, I don't know. I guess maybe I'm not sure if that's where like the magic happened or something. But I think it might have been, and that maybe that's like why they they named me Bjorn. Wow! Not because they wanted you to be a pro, but because. They just happened to meet. I mean, that's that's good. No, that's the thing. I mean, I think I was always going to play tennis, but my parents had no thinking that, you know, this was what I was going to do. So I could have been working behind a desk typing for eight hours a day and my name would have been Bjorn. People would have been like, what, why? <laughs> <laughs> well, did you have any idols when you were growing up, when you were watching tennis as a kid? Because it wouldn't, I mean, Bjorn would have been years before you. No, I, I, I didn't really. I, I mean, I loved growing up. I've watched everything, and I love watching a ton of different guys. And and I actually especially liked watching the guys that were the clay quarters. So for me, it was like the Juan Carlos Ferreros and the Guillermo Correas. And um, but Americans wise, I liked watching Marty Fish a lot. And when I was real little, I actually had two hands on both sides, and I changed because I was watching Agassi play it was like some u.s open series event in the summer and i asked my dad i was like why do they hit with one hand and i hit with two and that was the last day i ever hit with two hands wait do you have any memory any distinct memory of like your favorite tennis moment because the only the, i mean i've i've known i've known who you are for years but my vivid memory is you playing novak djokovic in 2016 at indian wells and like winning a set off of him do you have any memories or like a, a best memory i know you've won eight ITF Futures, and you've won three Challengers. Obviously, you've done a lot and won the Junior French Open. Do you have a favorite moment? I mean, I think that, that Novak match is, is pretty up there. It's funny because my, my favorite moments I look back on, they're all losses. Um, but <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, but the Novak match is great. I mean, I don't think anybody expected me to, to come out the way I did and, and win the first set. And it was kind of a twilight match where it was the day session going into the night session. And, and um, I was just in the zone and, and I really came out not nervous or or not uh, jittery at all and, and just kind of took it to him. And then I think he also was kind of started the match looking a little bit bored and kind of taking me lightly. And I was able to capitalize on that. And then in the second set, he really stepped on my face in terms of the <laughs> score. It was 6-1 in maybe like 14 minutes. Um but the third set was also competitive, and it was 6-2, but it was like I snuck a break back, and it was only one break, and a lot of games went to deuce, and um, the points were competitive and long, and any of Wells' courts are so slow, I feel like one point can last like 25 minutes. Um, so it was a full full stadium also, which was fun. So I can look back on that. Probably my biggest memory, I've also played Gasquet on Susan Longland at the French. Um that was like on kids day so there's a million kids screaming Gasquet's name about after every point but that was fun also um but yeah I have a lot of memories throughout my career qualifying for Wimbledon was definitely a good one I've made semis of the Hall of Fame open in Newport on grass um and I was actually I saw the induction ceremony the year that Kleisters and Rada got inducted in the Hall of Fame which was really cool 
So, um, yeah, those are probably my top, top few memories. Do you have any, um, obviously those are amazing moments and amazing memories that you had on the court. Are there any memories and moments that you've had just throughout your time traveling? I mean, I know you don't like traveling, but you have gone to some pretty amazing places and are there any, is there anything that stands out or? Um, I do like Paris a lot. Just maybe because I did well there as a junior, it kind of has, I don't know, a special place for me. I, I enjoy walking around there. I really like the city and everything. So um, for me, Paris is probably my favorite place to go back to. And I love Roland Garros. Yeah, I've, I've been blessed to visit, you know, every place that I've, I've seen. I've been all over. And uh, I think as I've gotten older, I've done a better job of maybe seeing things that I haven't seen before. When you're young, I feel like you don't quite appreciate uh, what you're doing or not what you're doing, but where you are. And, and there's people that I have friends that have, you know, never left the country. So, you know, I feel like I'm 25, but I've experienced a lot over the years. So maybe I'm wiser. I don't know. <laughs> are you, are you a goals oriented kind of guy? Do you have big goals for this year or for, for any part of your career? Do you have things that you think about? I mean, I feel like the goals thing never really works for me. Uh, maybe if I don't know a lot of them have been ranking based and trying to pass 99 in the world and and you know cracking top 100 I think was probably the, the biggest one but I haven't done it since um, so I think uh, just try to do as well as I can every week and just make the most of of what I can and and, and can't control I mean for me I I know you know, I've learned a lot over the past year uh, with how things have kind of gone and, and where my faults were. Um, so for me, it, it's kind of just, you know, addressing how I can get a little bit negative because I know I am. So kind of keeping myself positive. I think if I can, I can do that, then, you know, this year is going to be pretty good. So you did mention about you turning 25, you feel like you're getting older, even though you're 25, you're still super young. Um, and you're getting, hopefully you're going to be getting your degree. Is there anything that you think about like post-tennis that you think you could see yourself being really good at? I don't know. Um, in my opinion, I'm pretty personable. I don't know if people would agree or not, but I think I am. Um, you are. So I don't know. I, I love tennis and I'd love to stay in, in, in the sport, but I definitely don't want to be on the road even t 20 weeks a year that's too many um so i don't know i really don't think i could see myself doing like a country club job either so you know those not wanting to travel kind of takes away a lot of things in tennis but you know time will tell i haven't really given it a lot of thought but it's going to come sooner than i think it is so it's probably best if I start thinking about it. <laughs> but by no means am I trying to rush you. Don't worry. No, it's just a question. Good. Some people, I mean, if you're thinking about like getting a degree, I mean, if you want to get a degree in psychology, maybe expanding on that. I just, I didn't know. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what, uh, that's the first thing that jumped out at me when I was looking on the thing. And I think it's because I also think I'm crazy when it comes to, to tennis. So I want to maybe read into that a little bit and, um, psychoanalyze yourself yeah see just see how the mind mind works and how everybody's mind works and at least from the degrees that were on the table when i was looking that's the thing that interests me the most
You got to be a little crazy to study psychology. Everyone says that. And yeah. you got to be a little crazy to play professional tennis. Yeah, you got to be a little crazy to do, <laughs> to do what we do, too. Is it, is it motivating to see? I mean, Madison just reached the fourth round um, at the Australian Open. Is it motivating to see her doing well? Or is it sometimes annoying and, t- I don't know, like, <laughs> like tough? No, I mean it's definitely it's definitely motivating. Number one, um, although I feel like talent wise, we're very opposite ends of the spectrum. Uh, she just kind of, you know, her tennis is just very easy, and 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 the way she plays is just pretty easy, and you can see it, you know, when you're watching her. I feel like me, I have to uh, figure out ways to win the game the men's game is getting so much more physical and all the guys are getting taller and stronger and you're seeing these young guys coming up they're like six four six five and i'm barely six feet 174 pounds so for me i have to figure out a lot of different ways to win and and i have to create a lot and i have to use my legs a ton so i really have to uh you know grind it out and and you know so i have to make sure that my fitness is always there and i feel like for me there's a lot of there's a lot of X's and O's that go into each match and, and, you know, each week that I'm playing where I feel like for her, just in my opinion, she's better than 90% of the field just waking up in the morning. So, you know, then I'm trying to do the best I can. She's trying to do the best she she can. And, you know, we motivate each other. Yeah, we motivate each other. We've actually been practicing together more. Um, Her new coach is actually a pretty good friend of mine. So, when my coach isn't around, you know, he's been helping me out and, and we're just kind of all my coach, her coach, me and her, we're all kind of her team, my team, we're all spending more time together. So there was a couple of days before I started in qualities where we were hitting together. And, you know, if we would both want to work on something specific, I feel like, you know, rather than hitting with another guy or her hitting with another girl where, you know, they want to do something too, it can just be her and I hitting and warming up and then going into what, each of us kind of want to get done on that day. So, and she hits the ball just about as big as every guy does too. Um, Actually, the biggest. She had the record for hitting harder than any guy and girl last year at the US Open. Was that one shot or average ball speed? Uh, average ball speed on the forehand. Average ball speed on the forehand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, she definitely plays with with less shape than um, <laughs> every every other guy. So uh, it's she's flicking him off right now. It's that's why. <laughs> Oh, man, What's it like funny. living? So you and Irina and Madison and like hundreds of tennis players all live in this little bubble in Lake Nona. What is that like? Is that awesome? Or do you just want to get so annoyed and stop playing tennis? No. Before we all had individual homes too, we all lived in the same apartment complex. And all we were actually all in the same building. So it was fun. Um, you know, Irina was the only one that, that actually went to school. So you know, she would know what it's like, but for us, it felt a little bit, or at least for me, it felt like a kind of a college feel where we each had our apartments, like our little dorm rooms, and we all hung out, and, you know, we hung out probably almost every night, and, um, you know, I got to know Irina's boyfriend really well, and, you know, we have all gotten to be pretty close, little knit family, so it was a, uh, it's probably the biggest blessing in disguise in terms of moving here because when this place first uh got built and i came here and there was only maybe two buildings in a chipotle that just had opened it was like wow where am i what am i doing here but you know almost three two three years later sure yeah it's it's grown to be pretty 
it's cool little it's suburb. Happening. Yeah, it's coming up in a few more years, and I think it'll finally all be up. Um, and it's it's cool. It's a nice, you know, everything's kind of new, modern suburb, and you know, the airport's really close, which makes it great. It's kind of not stressful at all in terms of getting there. So it was a big switch from living in Boca Raton. So yeah, I, I think it's easy, and and you know, we're all really close friends, and you know, it's easy to hang out since we all live so close. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing what you do this year and how how your season goes. Well, thank you so much, and thanks for having me. Okay, that's it for this episode of the Tennis.com podcast, Inside the Tour. We've had a special guest on, Bjorn Frantangel. Thanks for being on with us. Thank you guys for having me. That was the best thing that could happen on a Monday night for me. So uh, I really appreciate it and look forward to listening. I've been Nina Pantic. And I've been Irina Falcone. Thanks for listening. You've been enjoying the Tennis.com podcast. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.